Once again, let me encourage you to take out your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament, to the Psalms. And tonight I want to read for us from Psalm 87. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song, and it's really the basis of a pretty well-known hymn, Glorious Things of You, of Thee, Are Spoken. And it reflects on God's covenant, His covenant of grace, and how it's revealed in the Old Testament, even as God's gospel goes to the nations, and does indeed, as it becomes in fullness through Jesus Christ, is taken to the nations. But hear now the word of God from Psalm 87. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we once again give you thanks for your word and that Jesus Christ came as the Word of God incarnate, speaking your Word, living in faithfulness to your Word. And so we look to Jesus as the one who continues to speak as the resurrected Savior seated in heaven at your right hand with all authority in heaven on earth given to him. And so we desire tonight to be faithful servants who would listen to our Lord and King, the Lord Jesus. For He does rule over all things, even though we can't always see it. And we want to be those servants who listen to His voice, because it's not only the voice of a king, but it's also the voice of a shepherd who tenderly speaks to us and encourages us, reminds us that we are His people, and that He leads us in green pastures. So we pray, Lord, tonight that you would help us to hear the voice of Jesus, even as it is heard here in the book of Psalms. And so we pray you would do that work by your Holy Spirit for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many passports do you have? Probably if you've never needed or never had occasion to travel outside the United States, you don't have a passport. You don't need that. We don't need a passport to travel from state to state, from city to city. And so you've never had occasion. You didn't spend that money to have your picture taken, to fill out the paperwork, to send it in and then receive a passport that had your picture and all your information and was a testament to the fact that you are a citizen of the United States. I have two passports. I was born in Canada, and so as a 
natural-born Canadian, had a right to have a Canadian passport. I needed that to travel to other countries, but also when we moved to the United States to come to seminary, needed that passport to get through the border so that they would know who I was, that they would let me through. A few years after all of that, moving to come to seminary, being in South Dakota, God called us to Haiti. And so I had a couple passports I could use, but in fact now I have, in a sense, three passports because my long-term residency permit in Haiti looks like a passport. It's a little booklet, it's brown, it has my picture, the same kind of page like a passport page with your picture and information, pages inside for the stamps as we come and go. Where do you belong? That's the question, isn't it? No matter what passport you might hold, even if you hold multiple passports, as Christians we would say, yes, I was born here, I was born in Canada, I'm a citizen of the United States now. I make my home in Haiti, but where do I really belong? Where do any of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ really belong? Especially as we moved to Haiti, it became very clear that we were outsiders, both by our looks, by our birth, by our citizenship, by the way that we spoke, even by the fact that we were really wealthy than most, wealthier than most of the people there. We are really outsiders because as believers we are bound for heaven. That's where our true citizenship lies. But we have to live here. We have to live here as outsiders. And so I want you to see tonight that God has built a city and he's building a city where outsiders are welcomed in and they're welcomed in to dwell forever. And even here in the Old Testament, in Psalm 87, we have a picture of what that city is going to look like, who it is that's going to inhabit it. Is it going to be just the natural born citizens, the insiders, the Jews? Or are there going to be naturalized citizens, ones who were outsiders, who have been brought in, the Gentiles? Or is it also going to be the aliens, the people who come in, who are true exiles and outsiders who are now a part of that city. Well, I would say that that city that God is building for His people will have all of those people in it. And that's what Psalm 87 so gloriously puts in front of us, that God has built a city where outsiders are welcomed in to dwell forever. So I just want to look at this text tonight under three points. First, a city for outsiders. Secondly, citizenship for outsiders. And then thirdly, worship for outsiders. A city for outsiders. That's what we see in these first three verses. It talks about the city that God is building I don't know about you, but I think we all probably have preferences, don't we? Whether we like to live in the city, or whether we live like to live in the country, or maybe some combination kind of part way in between. 
In Haiti, we definitely live in the country. We live off the grid. It's a very rural area. Yes, the highway goes by, and that's what you take to the city. And in one way, I'm very happy that I don't have to live in the city of Port-au-Prince. Port-au-Prince is a big city, two and a half, three million people. It's like many cities around the world, crowded with people, crowded with vehicles. It's dusty, it's dirty. But as you go up the hills that surround the city of Port-au-Prince, there's a real sense in which it gets more beautiful. That's where people with money live. They have larger homes. There's more trees. It seems a little quieter, a little more lush, a little more beautiful. But as you go down towards the water and as you go into the center of the city, you go to that area where it's very clear that these are the, these are the slums. This is where the gangs rule. This is where there's garbage in the canals, where people can't get clean water, where the little shacks made out of plywood and tin are just squeezed together. One city, but So many different things, right? Where would you want to live? You don't want to live there in the slums. You want to live in the beautiful areas. But what kind of city has God built for us? Well, first we read that on the holy mountain stands the city that he founded. This is a city that God himself has founded. It's Yahweh, I am who I am, the covenant name of God. He says, I founded this city. And because God has founded it, because we know who He is, we know that it's a safe city, that it's a well-planned city. As we look forward to the New Testament, and God speaks there what we read earlier in the book of Hebrews, we see that we are looking forward to a city in heaven on that last day as well. And that is a city too that is built by God. It's founded by Him. It's founded on His faithfulness. And so it's secure. It will stand forever. But even more than that, the text says that this is a city that the Lord loves. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. God has founded this city. And the text reminds us that this covenant-keeping God loves this city, this place where he has put his name. Now in Haiti, very different to Most neighborhoods and places in the United States, every property has a wall around it. And you have a gate there that allows people to come in and out of that property. Walls and gates. And the walls are to keep the intruders out. Right? Sometimes in Port-au-Prince you see razor wire on top of that block wall. Sometimes you see broken glass bottles that they've embedded there in the top of the wall. It's to keep the bad people out. And yet they also have gates. And if you're going to have walls around your property, you need gates too, don't you? You need gates to allow people in. To allow the people who belong there to come in. To allow your friends to come in. To allow those that you trust to come in. 
And their beautiful gates, when you go to these properties in Haiti, sometimes the walls are just plain cinder block walls, not really very well put together, not always very straight, but very often they have these large metal gates that have been beautifully welded together, some with intricate designs on them, a beautiful gate. And we can imagine that the gates of Zion, are beautiful because the Lord has made them. But He is the one, you see, who keeps us secure. He is the one who shows His love for the people by keeping them secure, by bringing them into the city so that they might be safe from all of their enemies. Why was it that medieval towns had walls and gates? It was to keep those enemies outside. And that's what God does for us. He shows his love for us because it says that he loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. That's where he put his name. It's a dwelling place, right? The dwelling places or the tabernacles, uh, more generally the place where God is. But even here, It's already pointing us forward to what God is going to do as he fulfills all of his covenant promises in Jesus. Because he is going to dwell with his people in Zion first in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you remember that word of the Apostle John and his introduction to the book in chapter 1 verse 14, where he has spoken about Jesus being the Word of God, and then he says in verse 14, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He dwelled, or he tabernacled among us. Lord loves his city where his people have gathered because he loves his Son, first of all. And that city that God is building, this city that is for outsiders, it says in verse 3, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. You've probably sung that hymn before. And as we think about the glory of that place, the third verse, round each habitation hovering, see the cloud and fire appear for a glory and a covering showing that the Lord is near. Thus deriving from their banner, light by night and shade by day, safe they feed upon the manna which he gives them when they pray. You see, it's glorious because of the presence of God. In the Old Testament, as the people of God wandered through the desert, how did they know that God was with them? They could see his presence revealed in the glory cloud, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. This is the glory, the glory cloud of God's presence. Where would they flee to in times of danger? They could go to God in His presence. They could flee to His city because God was there. And so God has founded this glorious city for outsiders. One that the covenant-keeping God founded. One that He loved and one where He dwells that's glorious and secure. And so the hymn goes on and it says, right, what can shake your sure repose? I hope you can say that as you see this God, this city that God is building, that he's beginning to describe that 
is founded upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, we can say nothing. I can smile at my foes, those who would work against me in all of the danger. And Jesus does that for us. That's a city for outsiders. Well, who inhabits that city? Who's welcomed into that city? Well, this is where the surprise of the text comes as we see citizenship is for outsiders. One of the things that has always struck me about Haiti as you begin to get to know people and as you help people get to know one another in the church is that there's a real, a lot of mistrust and fear of one another. A lot of that comes from the voodoo history, that mistrust because of the voodoo ceremonies, worshiping the loa, the spirits, worry that someone's going to put a curse on them, worry that someone's going to work against them. And so they don't want to trust other people. They don't want to give that trust. And it's like they're keeping everybody on the outside. right? Sometimes it's even people in their own family that they don't trust. They are outsiders. And in every culture and every place, there certainly are outsiders. There are those who are different. But here in Psalm 87, God says, Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. They're all names of people who would have been considered outsiders for the Jews. Outside of the promises. Outside of the covenant. And yet God knows them. He knows them intimately. This is a a word used in the Old Testament of an intimate knowledge, even of the, the sexual relations between a husband and a wife. God knows them. He loves them, he's building a city, and he knows them, he knows them by name. And indeed, as we think of our God and knowing who he is, faith has to come from that knowledge, but he knows us, he knows us by name. And God has revealed that knowledge to even these outsiders, You see, that was the the testimony that God had given to the people of Israel. These words that he gave them were not just for them. They were meant to be as a beacon and a light even for the nation so that they might realize that they were living a lie, that they were serving false, dead idols. It was a gospel even for outsiders. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And do you see the, the real immensity of that statement? It's not just saying, oh, we've, you know, you've gone through a naturalization process. We did a background check on you and you raised your hand and made an oath and now you're a naturalized citizen of the United States. No, it's saying you were born here. Because you were born here, you had a right to this citizenship. It's something more than just bringing them in. It's saying it's as if they were born here. It's as if from birth they were part of the people of God. 
And we might expect the psalmist to speak of the twelve tribes of Israel, right? The sons of Jacob to speak their names. But instead, he speaks the names of some of the worst enemies of Israel. He speaks of Rahab. It's not the Rahab you're thinking of from the book of Joshua, the prostitute who hid the spies, but it's a name of the proud one often used of Egypt. Right? That country who had enslaved Israel for 400, over 400 years. She is brought in. And so we might say, I guess there is a connection to Rahab. You think about her, right? An outsider, a Gentile, a prostitute. She is brought into the people of God, living within their midst. Babylon. This is probably written after the exile. And so Babylon, again seen as a great enemy of Israel. One who came and took away the people, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And yet God said He's rebuilding it, and He's even rebuilding it with citizens from Babylon. Those who were outsiders. Philistia. Think of Goliath, the one who calls David a dead dog. But people from Philistia, believing in this God of the people of Israel, coming in and being a part of the people. That's what God desired. Cush, from the far south. Think of the way that It's fulfilled even at the very beginning of the New Testament church where there were people from all over the known world. But remember Philip as he has opportunity to speak to that Ethiopian eunuch. There's God fulfilling, bringing into his kingdom the people of Cush. It's fulfilled in the New Testament as we read in the pages of Acts. This one was born there. But how can that be? Well, it can only be if they have had the new birth. Yes, we all are born once, but Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, you need to be born again. And as we are born again by the Spirit, we are brought in to the people of God, just like these people from Egypt and Babylon, Philistia and Tyre. Those who, by faith, trusted in the Messiah, they too could be brought in. And so it's the new birth that gives life by the Spirit. Then the psalmist goes on, And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her, for the Most High will establish her. The Lord records, as He registers the people, This one was born there. They are registered as the people of God. Think about what that means. All of these outsiders, the people who people that the Israelites would have said, they're not welcome in our city. Probably would have walked on the other side of the road as they passed by them. They were unclean, considered unclean. And yet, the promise is that even where there were people who was said, not my people, they have become my people. That's what Hosea reminds us of. He says, yes, their name was not my people, but now they are my people. Savior, if of Zion's city, 
I through grace a member am. Let the world deride our pity. I will glory in thy name. This was the promise of God in the Old Testament that he would bring these outsiders, those who were far off into the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel as it went out into all the world. What does that mean for us? Well, it does mean, first of all, that there are no outsiders in the church. We are all one people of God, and we need to act that way. We need to welcome people in. No matter how long or how short you've been in the church, to welcome one another in as fellow heirs of the promises that come in Jesus Christ. And to be reminded that we have been registered, and what a great blessing that is. Right Again, it reminds us, looking forward to what John writes in the book of Revelation. There, where the books are open. What books? The book of life. The book of life where the names of God's people are written. Where it says, yes, you are registered. You are welcome to come into the gate of the heavenly city. Why? Because... Jesus was forsaken. You see, he was the one who was made an outsider. He died where? He died outside the city gates. He's forsaken. He's spit upon by his own people. But he takes our sin. He becomes an outsider for us so that we might come in. But then what do we do? Well, lastly, worship is for outsiders. You know, I think if you came to Haiti and sat in a worship service on a Sunday morning, there'd be lots of things that would be familiar to you. We sing songs, we read the scriptures, we pray. You would notice a preacher get up and preach the gospel. And so there'd be many things that would be familiar. People might move a little bit more. We might have a few more instruments in that worship, but much of it would be familiar. But you would definitely feel like you were an outsider because you wouldn't understand the language. You might hear a few words and might recognize a few words like Jezi, but you would feel like an outsider. And yet, what does God do for us? He brings us into the worship in heaven. He makes us insiders so that we might worship together. And I think that's where the end, the last verse of this psalm looks. It looks far into the future, in that place where all God's people are gathered together and they are worshiping joyfully together. It seems almost like a verse that's just tacked on at the end of the psalm. It says, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. But this is the response, isn't it, of somebody who has believed the gospel, who has been made from an outsider, brought inside, who's been registered as God's person, Jesus' fellow. And outsiders worship the Lord, singers and dancers alike. Say, all my springs are in you. There they are. Outsiders worshipping in the temple. Even though they might have been allowed into Jerusalem, right? There were all of these laws made to keep outsiders out of the holy places. 
To keep them away from God's holiness. And yet now, here they are, worshipping together in the temple, dancing like David danced before the Lord. Dancing like that lame man that Peter heals in Acts chapter 3. Because their salvation is found in Jesus. And as they worship God together, what do they find? They find life as they worship. All my springs are in you. There's a saying in Haiti, la vie, water is life. And in a place where most people don't have plumbing in their house with water running to their sinks and toilets and everywhere else where many of them have to go out and fill five-gallon buckets of water and bring them back to the house, you recognize that for them that rings true. That if we don't go out today to the fountain or to the well to get water, we're going to literally die. We need water every day. And for a lot of the time through the winter, Haiti is like a desert land. Certainly the people of Israel knew what it was like to live in a desert land. And they relied on God for the rain, for God to bring that water. And he does that. And that's what they sing of. They sing of God's provision. All my springs are in you. God who brings us that life-giving water. God did it for the people in the Old Testament. When they were in the desert. Moses, right? Speaking to the rock. Water flows out. Life-giving water. When the people thought that they would die. But it points forward to Jesus who comes and says, If anyone is thirsty, come to me. Come to me and I will give you life. Springs of the water of life. And that last day, John's vision in Revelation chapter 21. He sees the river flowing through the city. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus speaks and says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You see, and this is the glorious truth. That we don't deserve to be brought into this city. We can't give enough money and bribes to get a passport to allow us into that city. But it comes only through faith in Jesus Christ who has opened the gates for us. That we might come into that city. And that's what he's doing. He's doing it here in Tallahassee. He's doing it all around the world. People are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are coming into the church. And one day we'll all gather together in God's city in heaven. It's all about who they worship, where they worship. They worship the Messiah and they worship together in this city that God has founded. See the streams of living waters springing from eternal love. Well supply thy sons and daughters and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to swage? You see, that is true. Because this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is for outsiders. It's for you and me. Because we are outsiders. 
But now that we have been brought in, we can give thanks to God for his provision, for the springs of living waters that come to us, even as we hear of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done to found this city, to open the gates, and to allow us in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that Jesus Christ has opened the way, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that it is only in Him that we have eternal life, that we have a life that is secure, and a life that is free from all of the anxieties and fears that we, that we have now. We thank You for that city that You have prepared. We thank You for those that have gone before and their faithful witness, even as they lived in tents, as they lived without receiving that promise that they were faithful. We thank You that we have that promise even more clearly revealed to us in the New Testament. Help us to believe it. And help us to recognize that even as we are outsiders who have been brought in, that we would welcome others who are outside, that we would witness to your grace and your goodness to us. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.